You may have to come and read here. Otherwise, we have to set this up. If you want to come and read with us here. You need to make room for it's sorry, that's my room. I think you'll have to move over actually. That's where Michael sits. Okay. Can you sit beside him and we all squeeze in here? I'm probably gonna have to use the projector eventually. Maybe three of us can fit in here. I'm sure we'll be fine. Can you read from there? I can try. Should be fine. Send it that way. Send the projector that way. The real problem with the projector is it uh, may take use too much CPU and cause the thing to crash. Okay, welcome everyone. We're back uh, studying the Alag Ben Part two. We'll start as normal, as usual, we'll start with the uh, reading of the Pali and then we will continue on with the study of the English afterwards. Here we go. Namo tasa bhagavato arato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato arato sama sambuddhasa Kuluham wabhikave dhammam desaisami Nitaranataya no gahanataya Tamsunata sadukamanasikarota asisamiti Evambande dikode bikuravato pachasosum Bhagavaita Sayatapi bhikkave puriso adana manga pati pati panno so paseya mahantam udakkanavam orimam nirang sasankam sa pati bayang harimam nirang kemama pati bayang Nachasanavasantaraniyuttarisetuvaapaparaparangamanaya Nati Chanawa Santarni Uttarase Tuva Abara Parangamanaya Yanunaham Tinagarta Saka Palasam Sankar Dituva Kulam Banditva Tangulam Nisaya Pate Javade Javayamamano Sotina Param Uttarayanti Atakoso Bikkave Purisotina Karkasaka Palasam Sankartiva Kulam Banditva Tangulam Nisaya Ate Javade Vayamamano sotina parangutareya Tasa bodhisasa uttina sapara parangatasa Eva mesa Bahukaro kome ayangulo imahangulang nisaya Ate javade javayamamano Sotina parangutino 
Yang lunahangi mangkulang si sewa arupitwa Kandewa ucaritwa yina kamang pakkeriyanti Tangkimanya tawi kewe apinuso purisowi Ewang kali tas mingkule Nori tambande katam kali jarasobikawe puriso tasmin bulay kicakareyasa idabikawe tasa purisa sa udin nasa paranggatasa iwasa baru karo kome ayang kulo imang bulang nisaya Ate chavate chavayamano sotina parangutino yano nahangimang pulang talewa usaditwa udakewa opilapetwa yinakamang pakameyanti Ewang kariko sobikawe purisotas mingkule kicakari asa Ewang mewa kobikawe kulupamamayang Mamayadamo desitonitaranataya dogaranataya Kulupamangwo bikawe damang desitanga Ajanan tehidama biwo bahadam bapagewa adama Chayimeni bikawe diptana niptana nikatamani chat Ida bikawe asutawa putujano ariyanang adasawi Ariyadamma sa'ako ito, Ariyadamme awinito, Sapuri sa'nang adasawi, Sapuri sa'damma sa'ako ito, Sapuri sa'dame awinito, Rupangi tamama eso hamasmi, Eso me yadati sa manupasati, Veda nang etang mama eso hamas mi eso me atati samanupasati Sanyam etang mama eso hamas mi eso me atati samanupasati Sangkari etang mama eso hamas mi eso me atati samanupasati Yang pitang gitang sutang utang binyatang patang pariyesitang Anu wicaritang manasatang pihitang mama eso hamasmi Eso me yatati samanubasati Yang pitang gitang tanang solo koso atas So pecha bawisa minicho duo sasato awiparinamadamo Sasati samantati watasyamiti dampi etam mama eso hamasmi Eso meyatati samanubasati Sutawakato bikawe ariyasawako ariyanandasawi Ariyadamma sarko vido, Ariyadamme suvinito, Sapurisananda sawi, Sapurisadamma sarko vido, Sapuriyadamme suvinito, Rupamne tammamane so hamasmi, Name so atati samanupasati, Veda namne tammamane so hamasmi namne so atati samanupasati Sanyamne tammamane so hamasmi namne so atati samanupasati Sankarene tammamane so hamasmi namne so atati samanupasati 
Yam pitang ditang sudam utang winya tang patang patiesitang. Anu vijaritang manasatang pinetang mamaneso hamasmi. Nameso watati samanu pasati. Yam pitang dititanang solokoso so pecha bavisa minicho duvo sasato avipari namadamo sasati samangate vatasami titampine tamamane sohamasmi name sovatati samanupasati so ve vang samanupasanto asati lavari sasati Evang Urte Yang Yataro Bhikkhu Bhagavantam Etaravocha Siyanu Gobante Vahita Asati Parita Sanati Siyabhikkhu Ti Bhagavayavocha Itabhikkhu Vekachasa Evang Hoti Ahuvatame Nati Siya watame tang watahang nagabami tiso so chati kilamati Paride devati urata linkanda tisamoham apachati Evanko bhikkhu bhaditas asati paritas sanahoti Siya panayipante bhaita asati paritas sanati Siya vikuti bhagava etatrocha Ida viku echasati kachasa etna evanghoti Ahuvatametam vatamenati siya vatametam vataham nalabhamiti Sona sochati sakilamadina paridevatina Naurata lingandatina samohanga pajati Evanko bhikkhu vahida asati paritasana hotiti Siyanuko bhante yajatang asati paritasanati Siyabhikhu tibhagavaya ucha Idabhikhu ekachasa evang dhikti hoti So loko so vata so pecha bhavisami chodurvo Sasato avibarinamadamo sasati samangate vatasamiti So sunati tathagata savata tathagata savakasavas Save sangdittitana dittitana pariyurtana Vivesana sayanam samugataya Nirodhaya nibbanaya dhammam desintasa Tasa evang hoti uchi jisami We did miss a line. I did it. You did it. Samungataya sambhasankara samataya sambhupadhipatini sagaya Tanhakayaya viragaya nirodaya nibbanaya dhammam desintasa Tasai vanghoti uchiji saminamasu Vinasi saminamasu Nasunama bhavisamiti so so chatikilamati Paridevati urata linkandati samohanga pajati Evanko bhikkhu ajatang asati paritasana hoditi Siyapanevante ajatang asati paritasanati Siyabhikuti bhagavai mocha Idhavikuve kachasana evang ditti hoti Soloko sovata sovecha bhavisami Nicho duvo sasato avivarinamadamo 
Sasati samadhyate vatasamiti so sunati tatagata sava tatagata sava kasava sabe Tana pariyurtana biniwe sanusayanam samugataya Sambhasangkar samataya sabdu padiparpini sangkaya Tanhakayaya viragaya nirodaya nibanaya dhammam desintasa Tasa evang hoti uchijisami namasu Vinasi sami nama sunasunama bhavisamiti Sunasuchati nakilamati na paridevati Na uratalin kandati na samohangapajuti Evanko bhikkhu ajatang asati aparitasanahuti Maybe we'll stop there. That's about almost two-thirds of Mm. Maybe just that one more. Yeah, we, no, we've got, we don't have much left to go. No. We'll do all this tomorrow. Don't want to do too much. It's getting a bit rocky. Mm. Okay, so today we study the simile of the raft. We're starting with the simile of the raft. We're continuing on about a third down in the Alangadupama Sutta. Yeah. George, you want to start us off? Okay. I shall show you how the Dharma is similar to rough bean for a purpose of crossing over, not for the purpose of grasping. Listen attend closely to what I shall say. Yes, never, never will sir. The bhikkhu replied, the blesses one said this. Okay, so he's just taught the simile of the snake. What was the simile of the snake? Grab a snake by the wrong end. It'll bite you. Don't grab a snake by the wrong end. Don't grasp it incorrectly. Incorrect grasp of the snake leads to suffering. And what is that similar to? Incorrect grasping of the Dhamma. Which leads to? It's to suffer. It can bite you. <laughs> okay, so tell us what the blessed one said about the raft. Oh, wait. But first, how the Dhamma is similar to the raft? Because the Dhamma is for the purpose of crossing over, not for the purpose of grasping. Just like a raft. Mm-hmm. Famous similarity of the raft. Right, so again, we're, talk- we're, we're dealing with um, someone who... Uh, who uh, this guy who taught that the Buddha uh, contradicted himself, that the Buddha's rules were against sexual activity and yet uh, that the Dhamma itself contradicted this and that in the Dhamma the Buddha sexual activity was okay. So he said, therefore monks should be able to have sex with women. This was his argument. And so the Buddha points out through the beginning of the sutta that uh, this is due to his wrong grasp of, the, grasp of the Dhamma, through his just learning the Dhamma but not appreciating it, not applying wisdom to really understand what it was saying, to, to understand that it's uh, all about the uh, giving up of sensual desire and hence the sexual activity. So uh, he, he, he seems to, the Buddha, the Buddha is making a, a set to have understood that this Arita guy uh, was just trying to stir up trouble and trying to win debates. He was just argumentative. And so uh, the raft, the idea is that the Dhamma is for a purpose. It's not for clinging. It's not something you hold on to and use, carry around with you and use to win debates and to gain uh, praise and so on. It's not, in that sense, the whole idea of being a Buddhist is uh, often a, a source of complacency, unwarranted complacency for people. We become Buddhist and then we say, I am Buddhist, and we go around as though we've already accomplished something and as though we can just carry around Buddhism like it's a badge or something. Same as being a monk. We become a monk and we think, well, I am a monk, 
And so I have the Dhamma, I've learned it all, and we can use it for this and that, and that to gain our livelihood, and don't therefore put it into practice. So uh, this is what he's gonna, how he's going to compare it to a raft. Because suppose a man in the course of a journey saw a great expanse of water whose near shore was dangerous and fearful and whose further shore was safe and free from fear, but there was no ferry boat or bridge for going to the far shore. Then he thought, there is a, this great expanse of water whose near shore is dangerous and fearful and whose further shore is safe and free from fear, but there is no ferry boat or bridge for going to the far shore. Suppose I collect grass, twigs, branches, and leaves and bind them together into a raft. When supported by the raft and making an effort with my hands and feet, I got safely across to the far shore. And then the man collected grass, twigs, branches, and leaves and bound them together into a raft. And supported by the raft and making an effort with his hands and feet, he got safely across to the far shore. Then when he had got across and had arrived at the far shore, he might think thus, this raft has been very helpful to me, since supported by it and making an effort with my hands and feet, I got safely across to the far shore. Suppose I were to hoist it on my head or load it on my shoulder, and then go wherever I want. Now, Bikus, what do you think? By doing so, would that man be doing what should be done with that raft? Not sure the answer yet. <laughs> what does the audience think? If this guy... Uh... Takes a wrap. Well, it's an obvious. Uh, it's, a, it's a rhetorical question. Basically, the answer is no better answer. So let's go over what um, what is being said here. How this is like the Dhamma, because he's not going to actually point out all of how it's like the Dhamma. So a man, the man is um, a man or a woman or anyone who is undertaking, who is uh, living in samsara, who is floundering in the ocean of samsara. The course of the journey is the seeking out for freedom from suffering. So all of us want to be happy and want to be free from suffering. We're all kind of on this journey. Now many of us don't even know that we're on this journey and don't even know where we're going and maybe even have wrong goals and are just happy to find a rest spot along the way. If we're looking for a McDonald's or something uh, along the road, we don't really know where we're going. Some people have are actually going the wrong direction or just going around in circles. But once we figure it all out, we realize that the goal is freedom from suffering, happiness and freedom from suffering, peace and so on. So that's the journey that we're all on, every single living being. A great expanse of water. The great expanse of water is the is um, samsara, or it's the defilements. The Buddha talks about the flood as being defilements and our uh, ignorance and our um, well, greed, anger, delusion, and so on. And so this is what's keeping us from attaining freedom from suffering, is our defilements, the uh, bad stuff that we have inside, our attachments that are keeping us from crossing over to the far shore. Now the problem is, the problem with staying on the near shore is the near shore is dangerous and fearful. Fearful, fearful actually is danger, full of danger. So, pati danger, well, fearful, fearsome might be better, causing fear. And the dangers, of course, are old age, sickness, and death, and rebirth, having to be reborn again and again and again. These are the dangers of clinging to things. There's the danger of atanuada, um, our um, chastising ourselves, parasawada, parasawada. People, other people chastising us, the dangers of punishment and the danger of a bad rebirth. We're subject to all of these because we still have defilements. Based on defilements, we feel guilty for the bad things we do. Other people uh, scold us for the bad things we do and even punish us. And when we die, we go to a bad place and end up in further suffering. Those are the dangers of the near shore. The further shore is free from suffering, free from danger. The further shore sounds like a nice place to live, and indeed it is. Nibbana uh, is freedom from suffering. It's a place, uh, a metaphorical place, or how do you say it? Figuratively, it's just it's a place that is free from danger, free from uh, suffering. 
Now the problem is that without the Buddha, we have no ferry boat or bridge, or even with the Buddha, we're not able to get across the far shore. So the ferry boat and the bridge is, um, I don't know, we're not going to find a similar there because there isn't one. There is no way to get to Nibbana. You can't run to it, you can't jump to it, you can't fly to it, you can't uh, send a rocket off into space and find it, you can't split an atom and find it. Can't pray to God and find it. There's no, there's nothing that's going to bring the far shore to you. There's nothing that's there that's going to link you to the far shore. So he thinks, and this would be where he finds the Buddha's teaching. Great expense of water, yada yada yada. Suppose I collect grass, trees, and branches and the grass. This means suppose I learn about the Dhamma, I study it and remember it, and so on. And then, supported by the Dhamma that I've learned and studied and mastered, I use that Dhamma, and using that Dhamma means uh, not just swimming and not just uh, jumping into the water and using your pitiful intellect, but to actually use the Dhamma, the wisdom of the enlightened ones, to support you as you make effort to cross the water, to cross the flood of samsara. And, base, and because of the support of that raft, which you wouldn't have had if you just tried to practice meditation by yourself, you get safely across to the far shore, reaching Nibbana. Again, not just the point being that swimming enough, swimming alone isn't enough, and practicing without the support of proper teaching is also very dangerous and most likely not enough. So we need this raft of the Dhamma. We do need the raft. But this guy goes and does something stupid. When he gets to the far shore, what does he do? He take, picks up the raft, says this raft has been mighty helpful to me, and because of it, I got safely across to the shore, so why don't I just take it with me? Hoist the raft up on my head and, and, and go wherever I want. It means this person thinks they should cling to the dump. Now you could also say this is for any every aspect of the dump. When Whenever you learn something in meditation, don't cling to what you have learned. Whenever you realize or attain something in the meditation, uh, it's very, very important not to cling to that. Because, of course, someone who's, who's attained Nibbana won't cling to Nibbana, but someone who's become an Arahant will no longer cling, but someone who's along the path, when, they, when something new and, and exciting comes to them through the practice, they'll cling to it. But it says, no venerable service is not the right thing to do. So by doing what would that man would that man be doing what should be done with that raft? Do you want to just do all the reading? By doing what would that man be doing what should be done with that raft? Here, bhikkhus, when that man got across and had arrived at the far shore, he might think thus, this raft had been ver has been very helpful to me, since supported by it and making an effort with my hands and feet, I got safely across to the far shore. Suppose I were to haul it onto the dry land or set it adrift in the water and then go wherever I want. Now, because is it by doing that? It is. Is it? It is so by doing that. It is by that, so doing. It is by so doing that that man would be doing what should be done with that raft. So I have shown you how the dhamma is similar to a raft, being for the purpose of crossing over, not for the purpose of grasping. Right. So the so the important thing is the dhamma. You're not to cling to the dhamma. Not to uh, cling even to the realizations. The, the special states that come from the practice, not hoist them about like a badge and uh, brag about them and show them off. Go ahead. Because when you know the Dhamma to be similar to a raft, you should abandon even the teachings. How much more so things contrary to the teachings? Abandon even the teachings. No. I would, I, if I remember correctly, abandon even Dhamma, which means things that are righteousness. Abandon even righteousness. He's going to explain it. Oops. Hey, how do we get that to stay? We don't. Oh, no, how do we do it? Here, here. Dhamma pivo pahatamba pageva adhamma. So the word Dhamma is ambiguous, right? And it should mean good states. So we should abandon good states, much less unwholesome states. And he's going to argue against that. In paragraph, I abandon attachment with that, how much more so the low, vulgar, contemptible, of course, and impure things that this foolish Arita sees as harmless when he says there's no destruction. So you should even 
you should even uh, give up your attachment to good things, let alone all the unwholesomeness. Now, Bhikkhu Bodhi argues, it seems to me that the Dhamma here signifies not the good states themselves, but the teachings. Correct attitude to which was delineated just above in the symbol of the snake. The symbol of the Rathas intimates, intimates that even the teachings that are to be rightly grasped must finally be relinquished. So it was not an invitation of moral nihilism, but a warning that even attachment to removal teachings. It's contrary to teachings and Dhamma to the moral laxity of the people. Well, he's, it's kind of splitting hairs, and I like the commentary. We're going to go with the commentary. I'm sorry, I don't mean to criticize a venerable monk, especially not on the Bhikkhu Bodhi, but I'm probably going to. And I do it with anyone. I mean, we always have disagreements. doesn't mean I disrespect the guy. But uh, I would like to go with this according to the commentary, or look at it how you, how you like. It's the good stuff, which is either the Dhamma or its wholesomeness, and the bad stuff, which is either the things the Buddha taught against, or unwholesomeness. So uh, just give up, give up even the good states. Uh, not, uh, not to mention even the bad, the bad states. And I would say it, it's splitting hairs because it encompasses everything. Good states include the Dhamma of the Buddha. The Dhamma of the Buddha is all good states, and bad states are the the Adhamma and the teachings of the Buddha. Bhikkhus, there are these six standposts reviews. What are the six? Here, Bhikkhus, an untaught ordinary person who has no regard for noble ones and is unskilled and undisciplined in their Dhamma, who has no regard for true men and is unskilled and undisciplined in their Dhamma, regards material form thus. This is mine, this I am, this is myself. He regards feeling thus. This is mine, this I am, this is myself. He regards perception thus and formations thus. He regards what is seen, heard, sensed, cognized, encountered, sought, mentally pondered thus. And this I am, this is mine, this I am, this is myself. And this standpoint for views, namely, that which is the self is the world. After death I shall be permanent everlasting, eternal, not subject to change. I shall endure as long as in eternity. This too he regards thus. This is mine, this I am, this is myself. Standard um, description of yourself. There are, there are actually three ways one clings to self, and that's, in a, that's uh, elucidated, or that's what's being, being pointed out here. This is mine is clinging to self out of craving, right? So possessiveness, clinging to stuff, thinking it's mine. So based on the craving, one, uh, uh, based on craving, one gives rise to the idea of self. One, one gives rise to self-attachment. This I am is conceit. It's where you compare yourself to others or where you hold yourself up to be good at something or bad at, put yourself down as being bad at something. It's about... Uh, Describing yourself, which is conceit. You describe yourself as this, this way or that way. I'm this, I'm that, and so on. And this is myself is clinging out of views. So based on view, the view, uh, this is the soul, etc. The soul is this, the soul is that, self is this, self is that. Is that. There is a self, etc., etc., etc. That's clinging out of dipti or views. So we have... Dipti mana tanha or tanha mana dipti is three ways of clinging. Ah, and he even that's what the commentary explains. See, I know my stuff. This is mine is induced by craving. This I am by conceit and notion. This myself by wrong views. Called the three obsessions. They are also the main strings springs behind craving and mental proliferation. Okay, and he's the the untrained person. Um, regards the five aggregates thus. So material form is the first aggregate, right? Feeling is the second aggregate. Perception or recognition, we would say memory recognition, is the third aggregate. Formations, thoughts and so on, not thoughts but like judgments and so on, are the fourth aggregate. And the fifth aggregate would be vinyana, which uh, the um, vinyana is, is all the different Consciousnesses, the eye consciousness, the ear consciousness, the nose of the tongue, and the body consciousness, the mind consciousness, and all other kinds of mind consciousness.
are also seen with tanha mana iti. And that's number five. And the number six, the sixth one, is uh, some nebulous idea or or uh, vaguely defined idea of just a general sta general st standpoint for views such as the self is the world. After death, I shall be permanent, I'm not subject to change. I shall endure as long as eternity. That's not so vague, is it? No. So the view, in general, of uh, Self is everything, and self is permanent, and so on. Self is eternal, not subject to change. Regards view. This is a fully full-fledged eternalist view arising basis of one of the earlier, more rudimentary types of personality views. So he clings actually to the view of self. See, the Buddha is quirky this way. I'm sorry, I don't mean to criticize the Buddha, obviously, but you'd think it'd be enough to just talk about the first five, but we often does this. Like we would, like in most places, this, the canonical standard way of doing things is to discuss the five standpoints for views, which are the five aggregates. Cling to self, you cling to the five aggregates of self, or you cling to the six senses of self. But here he adds a sixth one. He's often doing that, just adding something on there. And it can often be because of the audience, um, because you wouldn't find this, uh, this enumeration everywhere, um, but he's trying to emphasize something extra here, and it is extra to add this sixth one, but it's kind of like uh, all five of these become this one, or it's that the sixth one, as Bhikkhavodhi says, is, is a specific sort of typical view of the Upanishads. Anyway, I, I, all I mean to say is that I'm not quite clear, only because of my own lack of, of wisdom and enlightenment, uh, uh, as to exactly what the Buddha is saying. But uh, you know, let's let's be clear here what the Buddha is talking about. It's this uh, identification with things. That identification and ego are the solidification of defilements. They're the, the toughest problem that we have. Because our defilements, um, we can avoid them, we can repress them, we can change them, we can knead them and, and, and punch them and so on. Knead them and punch them. I'm trying to think of a metaphor. Like we can squeeze them into shape. But we cannot get rid of them as long as we are, we uh, identify with them. As long as we think of them as entities, as me, as mine, as I, and uh, so this identification that leads us to views is the solidification of our our defilements. Craving and and anger are not in and of themselves unmanageable. You can you can dispense with them, but they keep coming back because of our identification, because of the uh, our inability to um, see through the uh, the, uh, the concept of self. We cling to things, we cling to people, we have this idea of things existing as permanent, as satisfying, and as controllable, which arises out of one of three, craving, conceit, or views. Okay, and then the opposite. Because a well-taught Noble disciple, who has regard for noble ones and is skilled and disciplined in their dhamma, who has regard for true men and is skilled and disciplined in their dhamma, regards material form thus, this is not mine, this I am not, this is not myself. He regards feeling thus, he regards perception thus, formations thus, what is seen, heard, sensed, cognized, encountered, sought, mentally pondered thus, this is not mine, this is this I am not, this is not myself. And this standpoint reviews, namely, that which is the self is the world, after death I shall be permanent, everlasting, eternal, not subject to change, I shall endure as long as eternity. This too he regards thus, this is not mine, this I am not, this is not myself. So, um, because views are the solidification, the first step really is to do away from views, that's why the First of the sixteen stages of knowledge is ditti, uh, ditti or the first of the uh, yeah, it's um, first of the panya, the first of the seven, uh, the, after sila and samadhi, the first of the win, the wisdom purifications is ditti purification of view. So the first thing for us to do before we get rid of our craving and see that craving and, and anger and and so on are are wrong. We have to get rid of the view. 
So the first thing to do is to see that views are not me, are not mine. When someone says to you, I believe this, I believe that, you have to challenge them on that. I believe this, I believe that is just a concept that arises in the mind. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't have any power to say, I believe X, Y, or Z. It doesn't make it any more true or any less true or any more reasonable than anything else. Um, so starting from that, we start to break down all of our um, views, beliefs, conceptions, and so on until we're able to see that absolutely everything is impermanent, unsatisfying. Everything in the world is impermanent, unsatisfying, and uncontrollable. We do this simply through meditation. What he's describing is that based on investigation, based on the practice of watching the body, the feelings, the thoughts, the emotions, and by regarding them objectively, one comes to see that they're not me, they're not mine, they're not under my control. And Another thing to note is who does this? A person who is well taught, right? who has studied the teachings, who has regard for noble ones, who doesn't dis disdain them or speak poorly of them or criticize them or uh, you know, be nasty to um, teachers and so on, uh, and who is skilled and disciplined in their Dhamma, who is, has taken the time to practice and to master their teaching. Skilled would be skilled in the meditation. Disciplined would be uh, disciplined discipline in the vinaya, in the rules, keeping the rules. Whereas regard for true men, so true men is the noble ones. Noble ones, regard for noble ones, regard for true men, etc., etc. Okay. Since he regards them thus, he is not agitated about what is non-existent. Okay. Um, what do you say? Asatina paritasati. Truthful connotation of fear and craving, thus agitation. Yeah, paritasana is, I would say agitation is a good, uh, good translation. Agitation about what is non existent externally refers to the worldlings despair over the loss of non acquisition of possessions. Agitation about what is non existent internal affairs. He misinterprets the Buddhist teaching on the banners and doctrine of annihilation. Right, okay, um, so not being agitated, basically not being agitated about what is non-existent means the non-existent self, right? When you see clearly, you're no longer worried about you know, this computer or this microphone. You're not worried that this it's going to break. If I think of this as my microphone, then I get concerned about it going to break. But when I see that it's not really a microphone, it's just seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking, it's only a conglomerate of, or a flux of experiences, then I no longer cling to it. Externally, all people and places and things, we don't cling to them. And internally, well, he says it's, I don't quite get that, but um, I would suggest it's also to do with the soul and the self and the things inside the person who worries about themselves. I guess that, right, so the doctrine of annihilation is the concern over your internal self disappearing, which is a big one. We're all worried about the idea of not having a self. When you hear the Buddha has Buddha teaches non-self, you think, well, what will happen to myself? What will become of myself when I die? What will become of me when I die? The fear of annihilation, the fear of being just an automaton. It's not. It's not a good feeling for people. Once you see that everything, see for yourself that everything is impermanent, suffering, and non-self, you have none of that agitation, none of that fear and worry. Then there's this monk who's going to come up with four questions. When this was said, a certain bhikkhu asked the Blessed One, Venerable Sir, can there be agitation about what is non-existent externally? There can be, bhikkhu, the Blessed One said. Here, bhikkhu, someone thinks thus. Alas, I had it. Alas, I have it no longer. Alas, may I have it. Alas, I do not get it. Then he sorrows, grieves, and laments, and weeps, beating his breast, and becomes distraught. That is how there is agitation about what is non-existent externally. Right, so none of the possessions that we cling to really exist. They, they are just concepts in our mind. People, the ones with the people we love as well, the, everything around us is simply a conglomerate of experiences, a sequence of experiences. And so a person who doesn't see that grieves when things change. Grieves about non-existent things. It's funny. This is a very powerful teaching. 
and very important to keep in mind. And, and doctrinally, it's it's decisive because it's a question people often ask: Does Buddhism say that the world around us exists? And you no, know, Buddhism, though though we would say that in some sense there's experience and there's experience of the world around us, that none of the things exist as entities. Uh, so people, places, and things are all just concepts that arise based on sequences of experiences. And so uh, all of the people we love, all the things we love, not real. Person who sees this, they give up attachment to it. They have no agitation. Oh, here, so now he's going to ask, so how do they have no agitation? Venerable Sir, can there be no ex agitation about what is non-existent externally? There can be, Bhikkhu, the Blessed One said. Here, Bhikkhu, someone does not think thus. Alas, I had it. Alas, I have it no longer. Alas, may I have it. Alas, I do not get it. Then he does not sorrow, grieve, and lament. He does not weep, beating his breast, and become distraught. That is how there is no agitation about what is non-existent externally. So by not grieving about things that disappeared, uh, things that you were, things that have disappeared, that no longer are, things that one doesn't yet have, and things that one does not get. One thing but does not get. As a result of not, as a result of seeing clearly, they therefore don't think fast and therefore have no agitation. And now about internally, go ahead. Venerable Sir, can there be agitation about what is non-existent internally? There can be, Bhikkhu, the Blessed One said. Here, Bhikkhu, someone has the view that which is the self is the world. After death I shall be permanent, everlasting, eternal, not subject to change. I shall endure as long as eternity. He hears the, he hears the Tathagata, or disciple of the, of the Tathagata, teaching the Dhamma for the elimination of all standpoints, decisions, obsessions, adherences, and underlying tendencies, for the stilling of all formations, for the relinquishing of all attachments, for the destruction of craving, for dispassion, for cessation, for Nibbana. He thinks thus, so I shall be annihilated, so I shall perish, so I shall be no more. Then he sorrows, grieves, and laments. He weeps, beating his breast, and becomes distraught. That is how there is agitation about what is non-existent internally. Right, so again, it's about the soul. It's about people who come to Buddhism and have, have, have us rain on their parade in so many ways, right? This is only the final, like this, the final straw. Final... The final the last straw. The last, the last straw. This is the last straw. Where just we've taken everything away from them. We've taken away sex. We've taken away sensual enjoyment. We've taken away everything. Even even uh, socializing is 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 frowned upon. And now we're talking about we're taking away the soul. This this eternal heaven that we are waiting for. This eternal journey of the soul that we have of constantly moving up and up and up and closer and closer and closer to enlightenment. No, it's not sure. Everything is, is fragmented. Everything is broken up into pieces. And it's very scary to, when you hear the Buddha talk about this. And so he thinks, so I shall be annihilated, so I shall perish, so I shall be no more. Such a person who clings to self grieves. Grieves not because of the teaching, mind you. Grieves because of their own attachment to self their idea that there is a self. Mm. And don't think that we're teaching that there is no self. We don't specifically teach that, not because it's not true, but because thinking there is no self, there is no self, is also an obsession. It's also something that's going to get you in trouble. It's that we give up the view of self, and we just don't think about it. We don't have this idea that there is a self, there isn't a self. Both of those would require some kind of framework that doesn't exist there, doesn't exist. Reality is experiential. There, what we can say is that there is experience, and that's really all we can say. There is seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking. The idea that there is a self or that somehow metaphysically there isn't a self, it, the problem with it is it, it invokes metaphysics. It invokes a sort of a, a philosophical framework that is an abstraction. I don't, the Buddha said, you know, the Buddha said, I think in the last two days, he said, cling to a view of self if it doesn't bring you suffering. And he said, do you see such a view? He said, no, well, I don't see such a view either. Is that in the last word? Where did I come across that recently? Anyway, that's... Uh, um, obviously, there, there's no idea in Buddhism of the existence of the self, and I think we should keep it that way 
otherwise people get into clinging to views like there is, the Buddha says there is no self, the Buddha says there is no self, and it's just kind of distracting from the the practical aspect of the path. There, what is what the Buddha says exists is experience, and that's where we should focus our attention on understanding our experience. Okay, and then the opposite. Venerable Sir, can there be no agitation about what is non-existent internally? There can be, Bhikkhu, the Blessed One said. Here, Bhikkhu, someone does not have the view. That which is the self is the world. I shall endure as long as eternity. He hears the Tathagata, or disciple of the Tathagata, teaching the Dhamma for the elimination of all standpoints, decisions, obsessions, adherences, and underlying tendencies, for the stilling of all formations, for the relinquishing of all attachments, for the destruction of craving, for dispassion, for cessation, for nibbana. He does not think thus, so I shall be annihilated, so I shall perish, so I shall be no more. Then he does not sorrow, grieve, and lament. He does not weep, beating his breast, and becomes become distraught. That is where there is no agitation about what is non-existent internally. Right, so it didn't exist in the first place, and he wasn't upset about it. People, so point this you can point out for anything. If someone comes to you and say, "But, uh, you know, how how can you say that sensual pleasures don't bring happiness?" Uh, and no, I mean when people get upset when they hear us talk about about sensual pleasures being wrong or ang getting angry being wrong, so you, then you ask them, "Well, how does it make you feel that I say that? How does it make you feel that I'm threatening your?" attachment to these things. And it, it, it disturbs me, it upsets me. And so that's really our point, is that you're clinging to these things, and that's causing you suffering. When you don't have that clinging, I can say whatever I want to you. I can say uh, sensual pleasures are bad, I can say anger is bad, I can say delusion and views and concepts of self are bad, and they won't bother you, because you don't have any idea that they exist in the first place. And so it kind of goes for all concepts. There's no clinging to anything. Buddha said, Sabe Dhamma na langabini resaya. That's the core of Buddhism that no Dhamma is worth clinging to. So, that wraps up our session for tonight. And uh, we have four people here listening in. And um, another successful session. I think it's we're kind of getting the hang of this. Uh, we have two viewers. So, we're hoping people will. Anyway, it's what we're doing here anyway. We're not really in need of an audience. But um, I did hear someone came today, and someone from the Winnipeg community came and, and raved about it and said how wonderful it is to be able to sit at home and watch this on their uh, mobile phone, actually. So that's quite encouraging. So hello, everyone. We're off to meditate now. Wishing you all a good night, and see you again, hopefully, tomorrow.